With the federal election five months away, all parties are sharpening their positions on the environment. You should be worried about the cost that we are passing on to our kids, the cost of climate change. We have got an emergency here. The government just tabled a motion that would declare a national climate emergency, and the Greens want to see double the current greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. Climate change is not, I want to repeat that, not an environmental issue. It's a massive security threat. And getting their messaging out on the environment also means a plan for the energy industry and the economy. A dedicated coast-to-coast right-of-way specifically set aside for energy infrastructure projects. The future of energy in not just Canada but in the world has to be a future where we're not burning, we're not fracking, and we're not using fossil fuels. So just how important are all these ideas to winning an election and why does it seem to be so hard for parties to articulate and then keep their positions on the environment and energy? At Issue is here to help us dig into all that. Chantal Hébert is in Vancouver. Andrew Coyne also in Vancouver tonight. And Chris Hall is here with me in Ottawa. Good to see everybody. It did seem to just coincidentally happen that everybody was sort of talking about various positions (laughs) around climate change or energy today. Um, And I guess that's sort of part of you know, to digging into the narrative around the election a little bit more. But I want to start with Andrew Shear's uh, proposal today. It was It was billed as an economic speech, uh, but the big central part of it was this idea of an energy corridor that would run from west to east and that would somehow facilitate, I guess, these kinds of projects. Um, generally or specifically, Chantal, what did you make of that? Well, it's an interesting concept, but uh, in practice, there is no magic. You can't just by magic declare a corridor. It uh, does not resolve some of the issues that have plagued the pipeline file uh, and the environmental issues, assessment issues, but also the uh, indigenous consultation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that the courts uh, have been fairly strict in enforcing. So I'm curious to see how you actually negotiate that. Take the Energy East pipeline, for instance, the defunct one. It was supposed to run literally uh, very close to where most of the Quebec's population lives. That would be Laval and Montreal, major cities along the way, Quebec City. I'm not sure you can carve out a corridor in uh, Quebec's major cities that easily just by saying, I declare this to be the corridor. Yeah, and I think he also said in the speech that he would he would begin consultations by talking to indigenous communities. That would be the first step. But I don't, I don't know, even if you start there, that that means that that's an easier process. Andrew, what did you make of the idea? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can add too much to Chantal. It, uh, you cannot get away from the obligations that are upon the government, both on the environmental and the indigenous side of things that are mandated by the courts, that are in the Constitution. Um, I think everyone's looking for ways in which we can achieve greater certainty and greater streamlining of this so that we can have some sense of how long it will take to get through the process. It does seem like it can become kind of an endless game of leapfrog. I think there's creative things that can be done to try and do that and obviously one can look at this corridor proposal but on the surface it doesn't seem to to simply you can't just wave away those questions. Yeah well obviously Chris we're still waiting for the the climate plan from the Conservatives. There was I guess a, a hint of that today in the speech this idea that somehow Canada would want to lower global emissions. I'm not, you know, I'm not clear. I will get clarity, I guess, around what that means. But how important is his climate plan to what he would have spoken about today to trying to push forward an energy plan as well? 
Well, if Andrew Scheer accomplished anything today, Rosie, he set the conservatives clearly apart from the other three parties in saying that he believes they should become an, Canada should become an energy superpower and, and self-sufficient by 2030. So on that score, he's alone. As part of this whole idea of a national transmission corridor, he's talking about hydro as being part of it, pipelines would obviously be part of it. He didn't say anything about what it would cost, how we would get through the process, how we would get provinces like Quebec in particular to sign on. But as an idea, it's interesting. It's certainly one worth debating. Uh, and as I said, he's managed to put the Conservatives clearly on the opposite side of the other three major parties. So we also saw, though, this week, uh, I, I mean, the, the Greens sort of pushing, pushing themselves even further down the road in terms of what they want for greenhouse gas emissions, uh, increasing it substantively. And then Jagmeet Singh in this sort of strange position, which seemed to be a reaction to the BC by-election, where he declared he was not in favor of fracking, but then wouldn't come out against the LNG project in British Columbia, a project he's... It was, anyway, it was very confusing. So I guess, uh, Chantal, why is it so hard for parties to not only articulate these positions around energy and the environment, but, but stick with them? Okay, set aside the Liberals and the Conservatives. Why it's so hard is yes. that they are trying to balance uh, energy and climate change. That is not what the NDP uh, or the Green Party uh, are doing. Uh, and in the case of Jagmeet Singh, it's hard not to see his shift, and it is a shift, uh, away from openly supporting the LNG project, which mm -hmm. he did over his by-election yes, campaign as a reaction to the, his loss of a seat to the Greens uh, last week, and calls on the NDP to up its game on climate change. The problem with that is that when you're reacting very quickly to something that looks like it's only politically driven, your position and your standing uh, and your credibility take more of a hit than the opposite, and that is what happened to Mr. Singh this week. Uh, Andrew, yeah. is it just that, that simple and perhaps that cynical that that's what's happening here? There is a sort of a bidding war uh, going on here. The Greens have nothing to lose. Uh, they've got no particular base to satisfy other than environmentalists. So yeah, they can take the most extreme positions. The NDP does have blue-collar workers who would like to be building these pipelines as part of their base, so that is a constraint on them. But you can see how nervous they are given the strides the Greens have been making. And of course, you had the Liberals themselves being sucked into this, declaring, a, putting forward their own motion about there being a national climate emergency, which is fine to talk about, but in that case, they're, they're open to accusations. Why are you taking such a leisurely time of it with basically Stephen Harper's targets, which themselves aren't going to get us closer to, or, and, and, to, to achieving the, the Paris commitments that we made. So it's, the, the danger for the Liberals is, until now, they've been the party that's been trying to say, look, we're balancing uh, growth in the environment, balancing the energy and, and climate change. Uh, if they get moved off that, then they open the way for the Tories uh, to, to say, well, we've got a plan for both of these things. We've, all those plans are open to criticism, and we'll see you know, how real the, the Tory environmental plan is. Yeah. But the, the center of gravity for the public is that balancing act, and neither of the two mainstream parties, I think, can afford to get too far off that. I was struck, Rosie, watching the debates uh, on two motions, which one had a greater urgency around their emergency debate about the climate change emergency over the last two days <laughs> in Ottawa. It was clearly something. Um, but I would say on, on Jagmeet Singh, I, I appreciate the circumstance he finds himself in. The Green Party support is especially strong on Vancouver Island and in and around the lower mainland. Those are places where the NDP have seats and need to hold them. Uh, to have the Greens nibbling away at them, and they did very well in 2015 in some of those ridings, including Victoria, which is now 
a vacant seat. The NDP uh, incumbent, uh, Murray Rankin, is not running again. They got a third of the vote. So uh, I can see why he responded the way he did, but it was very, very narrow casting to a set of seats the NDP wants to hold, as opposed to, as Andrew pointed out, talking more broadly to blue-collar workers, to people who are in the trades who might see these projects as a way of getting jobs and, and guaranteeing some prosperity for the future. Yeah, I mean, it does also see, uh, that reads to me like the NDP is abandoning any any move to the center, uh, you know, the, any idea that they would take other progressive votes. Uh, but the center, uh, in the terms of, of the progressive votes that Thomas yeah. Mulcair and Jack Layton were hoping to get, to get them to government, uh, has left the NDP before the Fair. NDP left the center. Fair. And yeah. at this point, this is a save the furniture operation. Yes, it's narrowly focused. It should play well in Quebec, on the other hand. And at this point, uh, I think you can clearly see that the NDP is uh, struggling not to, to be in contention for government, as it was in the last election, but to hold on enough seats to retain official party status in the House of Commons uh, and not let the Greens become the so-called yeah. green conscience uh, of the House of Commons. I, just just a, a quick go-around on sort of where the government itself sits uh, on, on these issues, because it, it's, it's struggling with a whole bunch of things at the same time. The, the tanker ban bill, C-48, that uh, the Senate voted against, it's, I don't think it's going to die. Uh, C-69, that's the, the, the rehash of the NEB, the National Energy Board, so how, how projects will go forward. We're waiting on a decision on the pipeline. I mean, they are, uh, Chris, maybe I'll start with you on this. They are really uh, uh, trying very hard to play all those cards at the same time. And I, and I don't know how well it's working. What do you think? Uh, they're, they're running out of time, clearly with C-48 yes. in particular, because it may have to go back to the House of Commons if it can't get through a third reading vote in the Senate, which would overturn that committee's refusal to, to support it. Uh, I'd also point out what's really interesting for the government is that the governor of the Bank of Canada has added climate change now to household debt as one of the issues that lends to greater fiscal instability and concerns about the economics of the, of the mm -hmm. country. Okay. Uh, so if you are really looking for some kind of support to get that mesh together of the, of the environment and and the importance of continuing with some of these energy projects, uh, it's going to be a little more difficult to do that when even the Bank of Canada says we have to be very careful about how, how much greenhouse gas emissions we continue to put into the environment. Andrew? Uh, you've got two things here. You've got reality and you've got politics. Reality is climate change is a serious issue. The evidence accumulates by the week. Canada has obligations to contribute to that. Uh, carbon pricing is by far the most efficient way of achieving our goals in that regard. Reality, the political reality is the public is not necessarily sold on all that, particularly if it's going to cost them uh, any money. And the public generally wants something done. So the, yeah. the danger for the Liberals who have been trying to maintain the straddle is, can the Conservatives get in and, and, and do they have a, a balancing act that's closer to where the public is at? I'm not passing judgment on his policy, yeah. but if the public is satisfied with some kind of regulatory scheme that the Tories can call their plan, uh, do the Tories find out, find the, the, the more sweet spot in terms of where the public is at? And that's the real concern at this point for the Liberals. Yeah, I think we've talked but about the, it before. The, 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 but yes, the, the, Liberals, the Liberals are different from the other three party in the sense that the NDP, the Greens, and the Conservatives can come up with plans. But the, the, the Liberals have been in power for almost four years. They need to come up with a record. And for that, yeah. they need the legislation. They need a clear position on where the Trans Mountain file is going. They need the carbon pricing in place. And I think th the time to judge all of that is once Parliament adjourns to see if they achieve all these goals. By the way, there is, is there 
uh, hard and fast rule that says Parliament must bail out by July 1st because Brian Mulroney, when he wanted something and he was running out of time, just kept the house sitting. Okay, so uh, I'll, have to re I'll have to look at my holiday <laughs> I plans, I guess. Thanks, Chantal. <laughs> but it is, I'll just end on this, Andrew. It is, it does seem, uh, as Chris said, that they are running out of time to do something that is uh, very hard, and that's balance the environment with the economy, that, that, that line that Justin Trudeau has used so frequently. Yeah, and can we just add also, it's outrageous that a Senate committee, or, or the Senate, would be able to block this. This is legislation that whatever you think of it was passed by a Democratic House. If the Senate either stops, stops it or stalls it long enough that it runs out of time, that amounts to the same thing as a veto. And as a matter of Democratic government, that's just outrageous. I, whatever your position on the bill itself. See, I, 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 if you give him one more go, he will always take one kick at the Senate. <laughs> okay, thanks everybody, appreciate it. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to At Issue, the podcast for extra content. This week we're gonna talk about some of the remaining issues around the Mark Norman case. You can look for it on iTunes, any major podcast app, our website, cbcnews.ca slash the national.